This is the Green Steel Challenge. Hi, I'm Astrid Korf, and this is the Green Steel Challenge. My father, Willy Korf, revolutionized the steel industry in the late 60s with his mini mills and his new energy saving technologies. My mission today is to help make steel production greener. But what is green steel? How can we make it? And how can we speed up the progress? In this podcast, we will challenge the steel industry to get specific about how to get to zero carbon steel. We will meet global industry leaders to push the conversation and the innovation forward. Joining me on this journey are two of the keenest observers in the space, Dr. Mike Walsh and James Moss. Let's welcome today's special guest, joining us from Udine in Italy, Giacomo Mareschi Danieli, CEO and Managing Director of Danieli. Nice to be here today with you guys. First question, Giacomo, is a very general question. What is Danieli, Giacomo, and what does decarbonization mean to the company? Danieli is a, is a global group. It has a revenue of almost 4 billion euro and 10,000 people spread uh, all around the world. And we had two souls in Danieli. One is the plant making, the original traditional. And then we have also a steel making because we have also a mail shop based in Italy that is a special steel long product mail shop that is producing more or less 1.5 million. So we believe that we are very privileged in this environment because we have uh, the vision of the steel making. So we have the vision of who is producing steel, but we have also the vision of the plant making who is designing solution for the steel making. We try to understand the both side of the of the steel make the steel which means being a supplier but being also a customer okay and uh, with this uh, we uh, are sure that we can uh, define what are the requirements of the people that will use the steel and also the people that will design the steel uh, we are also having uh, business everywhere in the world. So also from this side, uh, we are seeing everything that is happening and we are uh, happy and lucky to be able to discuss with all the people and all the customer and being able to see every ideas that is coming around and every solution as well. So this is why we are really thinking that we can provide uh, some help to the decarbonization because we are seeing everything that is happening on this side. What decarbonization means from Daniele, it's a very good question, <laughs> of course. We try to uh, be uh, on the uh, edge of the decarbonization from the plan making. And of course, we are investing a lot in uh, renewables and practically all our uh, factories around the world from the plan making side are fed by solar panels. We have five megawatts uh, in Italy. We have uh, three megawatts uh, in China and in Thailand. So we are really ahead on the utilization of renewables from the plant making. And we also made commitment from the steel making uh, to get to towards net zero by uh, 2035. But what we believe that is our contribution to the decarbonization is from the technology. We believe that really the best contribution that Daniele can give to the decarbonization of the world is by designing the future solution. Uh, 
not by being net zero, which of course is what we are trying to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, because with the technology that we are uh, inventing or proposing, I, I have to say not only us, all the technological supplier, by the technology that we are designing and proposing, we can really give a huge contribution because we could define the solution. We could invent the solution that will benefit not only us or our measure, but will be able to help everybody around the world to, to decarbonize or, let's say, pollute less. So this is what I believe that is really the, the contribution that Daniele could give to decarbonization. My understanding is uh, is that Danielle is not only involved in primary steelmaking, that's uh, traditional blast furnace and boss steelmaking, uh, as well as electric arc furnace making, but it's also uh, heavily involved in the casting, the rolling, all the way downstream, flat products, long products, and is also actively involved in scrap and other metals, aluminum. So you have a very wide uh, spectrum and abilities to help you cross-fertilize across the business. This is very, very correct. From Daniele, we try to invest always to make sure that we are uh, supplying to our customer a complete uh, process from every raw material to every finished product. Every time that we invest, we try to invest concentrically, is what we call inside, to make sure that the solution that we are giving are uh, more and more complete. Of course, we are in the blast furnace side. We are uh, very well established in the EAF and in the minimis. That is what we believe we really uh, brought to the market. We are uh, investing heavily in the recycling. Of course, uh, this alongs with uh, auto, automation, of course, and uh, eventually in the real uh, last period, we are investing heavily in the uh, intelligence, artificial intelligence and machine learning. This is also something that we believe will bring a huge leap on the future decarbonization. Do you remember when decarbonization first became part of the conversation? Was there a a moment, was there an investment where suddenly somebody started uh, talking about what was required or has it been a slow burn? There is this uh, trend to talk about decarbonization, but what we believe is that uh, it's just a matter of efficiency. You know, in the past it was uh, called uh, efficiency, then it was uh, digital, now it's called uh, decarbonization. But <laughs> it's at all the, the same end, term. <laughs> yeah. yeah, at the end, what what that means means producing more with less resources, because this is this is what is all about. Uh, if the resources is carbon. Okay, we can talk about decarbonization, but at the end, the more we will produce with the less resources, this will will be profit at the end. And if profit is coming from decarbonization or from raw material or from anything else, this is uh, this is at the end the same. When decarbonization start to to come to to the discussion, I, I'm I'm trying to think. I think you know it's at least ten or fifteen years that there are technologies that are able, are enabling, let's say, the decarbonization, at least 20, okay? But before, nobody was considering that because it was really, really not uh, financially sustainable. Now, uh, consumers, uh, public uh, opinion, uh, socials, and so on, are really pushing towards that, and our customer, our partner, are really uh, requesting 
decarbonized solution, but the technology is available, in my opinion, since more than one decade. It's, it's sort of a diversion of a question, but it, it, it goes to this issue of efficiency. And while a lot of the, the focus is on the front end and the iron reduction and so on, downstream efficiencies in terms of yield and, and getting to near net shape casting and so on uh, are as much a part of the solution as anything else. I work in the US and obviously there's a lot of thin slab casting there. Can you explain why the Europeans didn't adopt thin slab casting in quite the same way? In my opinion, a, a clear point of um, timing, okay? The US people started a long time ago with the recycling, so with the scrap. We know very well that scrap is very, very developed in the US. And I think that this lab casting is something similar, is something that has to be developed. It's not something that can be changed from one day to, to another. Uh, so US developed the scrap, uh, developed all the solution that would allow high quality steel be produced by scrap, okay? Mm -hmm. And now is ready or was ready before uh, Europe to uh, start the uh, thin slab casting and rolling. That, in our opinion, is the future. We believe that in 10 years, maybe 15, no flat product would be uh, produced uh, by conventional route anymore. Putting that analogy on what we're looking at now, are we in that development phase of decarbonization technologies, uh, whether that's DRI or it's carbon capture? Are we developing a, a technical orthodoxy that will answer the question of how we get to net zero steel? Yes, I, I, have to I have to say that more than developing the technology, we are developing the practice, okay? Because the technology, again, is available or, uh, and was available even 10 years ago. But the practice of uh, using DRI in the flat or uh, using hydrogen to produce DRI is something that is uh, coming out now, okay? And uh, Europe, uh, from... Uh, from this point of view, is, is quite ahead. But there is a, a, a very critical point that uh, Europe have no, has no uh, gas. Okay? So all these projects that are coming in Europe uh, will depend on gas and on gas price. And at the end, uh, financial sustainability will, will be everything. Because we have to remember that if there will be no financial sustainability, no, no people will invest or no company will survive. Okay, so vision is interesting, uh, but uh, you know, um, projects are made now of uh, more than steel projects are, are energy projects. Because if we are talking about gas or if we are talking uh, about hydrogen, even it's everything related to energy. You know, so steel project will become energy project in the future, and Europe has no energy. Some other country that has energy has no mineral. So there are very few places in the world that uh, are so, let's say, blessed by God that will be able to have all the puzzle pieces. But, and I, for example, Australia is one of these places. They, uh, they have raw material, they have energy, but they have no market. So you see, uh, it will be very tricky in the future to define where it will be more convenient to produce green steel and uh, at, at, at what condition. And with that thought, uh, can you see regional or global restructuring of the supply chain? Might we see iron being made in those better places that have energy? 
and then the steel or the processed steel being processed where the markets are. So could there be a major deintegration of the current supply chain into iron making or DRI making, steel making and rolling and the market? Well, uh, you know, in the, in the last decades, with all this uh, regionalization of the steel, uh, we were going towards the opposite direction. You know, everybody was trying to become independent uh, for for the steel, which is very critical. We, you know, we have to remember the steel maybe is is contributing to the carbon emission, but steel is the key for the decarbonization of every industry, not of, of only of, of uh, steel industry, you know, if you understand what I mean. So key uh, steel is the key of the decarbonization. And in the last period, everybody was trying to become independent and was trying to build his own capacity. In the future, uh, we will need to transport energy or we will need to transport raw material. Energy is very difficult to transport, especially hydrogen is practically impossible with the current technology. Raw material is easier, but then again, this is a mission. And even uh, transportation of finished steel is a mission, you know. So I believe that the, the future uh, real decarbonization will be when each macro region will be able to produce the steel for their uh, supply and will sort out the energy, energy transportation issue. Two good examples of that uh, are two of your current ongoing projects in Southern California and Western Australia, which are two regions which are not known uh, for their uh, steelmaking. Uh, and the companies involved are not conventional steel companies that uh, many people will have heard of. So these two case studies are, are interesting in themselves. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background about those two projects and how different they are than uh, the current global steel um, industry that we see? These two projects are lighthouse projects because, as you said, they are uh, coming from places where steel is not uh, popular and not even, you know, uh, well accepted, you know. But uh, the fact that they are using uh, breakthrough technology and the fact that they are using, uh, and we will go through a little bit of that very shortly, the fact that they are uh, having very good performances from environmental point of view are making them feasible and they are uh, coming on the way. Uh, the one in um, in uh, California is really interesting because it will be the first mini mill for long products, scrap based, completely fed by uh, solar, of course, during the day. And uh, this thanks to the digital furnace that is a product that we developed and uh, it will be able to use directly this the energy produced from the panels, from the solar panels, to melt. Okay, so we will not need to go to the network and then pull the, the power to the network, but we will use directly the, the sun to melt. And this is something very, very good because it means it will not impact the network. It will not, uh, you know, pay uh, all the uh, auxiliary cost that uh, have to be paid if you use the network, like maintenance, like uh, taxes, you know, and all these things. And, uh, and for this, it's, it's really interesting. Of course, uh, the sun is available in the day. So in the night, uh, they need to, to find a, a solution uh, to, to produce. The one in Western Australia instead is, is different because it will be an integrated one. So it will be a, an hydrogen-based DRI 
100% hydrogen-based DRI with a, a mini-mill in the first phase, a long product, in second phase, a flat product. That uh, also with solar panel, but okay, now no mail shop will be done or no mills will be done without some uh, solar panel attached. And uh, it's interesting because this will have zero carbon emission, no gas, absolutely no gas, only hydrogen. And also the rolling mill will be all fed by uh, electrical power that will be auto-produced in, in, in green way. So these are two lighthouse projects. There is another project that, in my opinion, is really interesting to discuss that we are designing uh, now. That is a project in, uh, in Holland. And this is interesting because it would be the first uh, mini-mill scrap-based that will have zero carbon emission because we are designing the furnace uh, to be sealed, completely sealed. So the concept would be no carbon ejection and no air, false air entering in the in the EAF. And this will guarantee uh, level of CO2 emission that are uh, really uh, amazing because we are talking practically zero. And thanks to that, because everybody's talking about CO2, but we should not forget the other pollutants that are uh, impo as important, negligible NOx, and, uh, and dioxin production. Yeah. So this is like a super bag house that you've got over this furnace. How does that actually work? I mean, without getting into the, the technicals of it. Yeah, it works uh, like um, the furnace will have no air entering. It will be a sealed furnace uh, that will work even in a slight uh, overpressure. So eventually something will exit from the furnace, but nothing will enter. And this means there will be no burning inside the furnace. This means no generation on NOx, no burning of carbon, and no burning of, of other things that you will find in the scrap. And this means no, no generation of anything that will be not um, useful for the arc melting of the, of the steel. Because what we need is heating, yeah. it's not burning. Yeah. Were you privy to any of the permitting processes, particularly for Southern California or for the, the, the Dutch plants? Yes, of course. Uh, we are following the customer on, on all these things. It's not an easy thing. It's not a fast thing. Right. But uh, eventually we got there for the California one and we will get there for the Holland one. You will be the only melt shop in California by that time, right? Or um, yes, yeah. There will be there is a rolling mill, but the only mail shop it will be that one. Right. Yes. So w the decarbonization element or the net zero element of that melt shop must have been very important to administrators in California. I I think I think yes. So yeah. of course, yeah. So obviously, any steel plant would want to be hundred percent renewable, which is either solar or. Uh, wind offshore or onshore. So for the plant in um, California and Australia, I'm, I imagine these are the best locations uh, in the world for solar. Uh, mm -hmm. So going back to the plant in California, I mean, when it is night, <laughs> what what happens? How is this connection of the uh, intermittent renewable energy uh, and the um, fixed asset or oh, the fixed production of the dispatchable electricity is is that easy to manage or is that the weak link in all this nighttime in California? 
thanks to the latest technology that we are supplying, that is again, this digital furnace. And with digital furnace, we are talking about digitalization of the power field, not of the control. The control, the digital control is already available uh, since long time. And the next step would be in, uh, artificial intelligence control. But the, uh, the digital things that we have, uh, have done is really the power feeding, okay? And with the digital power, power feeding, we would be able, like with an inverter, to switch or to uh, even um, regulate the feeding power uh, as much as we want, uh, when we want. And it won't be an issue for the network because uh, it won't be like the current technology where either you switch it on or off. It means zero, 100% at any time. With this inverter, we can regulate, we can ramp up, we can ramp down, and we can even uh, melt without the, the full power uh, feeding from the network. So the digital furnace will give a huge, huge contribution to, to these uh, problems that uh, you very well understood <laughs> from, from mm. California Mill. With your sort of soup to nuts technology that you have and the fact that uh, you're, we're now entering a phase where greenfield sites within developed economies and close to urban centres seems to be possible, does that fuel your steelmaking ambitions at all, as well as your uh, the, see the, seeing the opportunities for, for plant sales? Most definitely, yes. Uh, I have to say that the steel making division of the plant uh, plant making had the best year ever in the last two years, and we are foreseeing also very good years in front of us. Because, of course, all the uh, blast furnaces that are closing uh, are going towards the, the EAF, but not only. Uh, all the country that in the past had a network issue or did not had power uh, grid strong enough to build EAF are uh, now enabled to, to, to do so and to have this, this uh, facility. For example, this is a very good solution for Africa. Africa, a country usually is not having such a strong network that is enabling a, a standard EAF, okay? but with this solution, uh, they are able to uh, start producing uh, with EAF as well, and we are uh, very well uh, we are very, very accepted uh, for, for this solution. Another point that it is very important, what you said, is that uh, we really need, I think, not we, I, I think as, as, a, as a world, as association, or is even as, as, uh, as uh, people that are building solutions, we should try to fight uh, um, the greenwashing that is uh, uh, actually very popular around yeah. the world. If you see what is happening, everybody that is making a plant, but not only in steel, in glass, in cement, everybody is making a very green plant, you know, <laughs> and is marketing that as the best plant, the mo most modern plant. But then uh, from people that knows what we are talking about, like, like you, like us, and like the people that will listen to this uh, recording, uh, you go to see inside that and you won't see very often a very green plant, you know. So um, we are uh, very focused now uh, as, as people to define what is green steel. But I think we should also focus a lot on, uh, on defining what is a green plant before what is green steel. Because without a green plant, there will be no green steel, you know. And so maybe an effort on defining or on uh, um, 
certifying if a plan that is being built is green or will be green when it will be built or not is something that sh- should be should be done in my opinion where should that come from we've had this conversation about green steel products should it be the producers who decide what is a green steel product should it be the customers should it be some third party uh, there is in the US the LED process and uh, that covers buildings in general uh, not just steel plants but it should the, it should it be the responsibility of the industry itself or some other party do you think well you know i think that this point is something that is uh, preventing a real decarbonization vision to be to be you know uh, accepted because uh, you you talk about customer you talk about um, supplier you talk about the producer these people has all different interests and will never be in my opinion able to have a common vision because everybody will try to pull in in their yeah. direction i i've noticed uh, that now are coming a lot of association uh, in the world that are trying to define what is green steel mm-hmm. you know and this is what is 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 seen around the world now and there are different associations that are um, that are having different uh, steelmakers inside. So there is the association of the EAF people that are not able to attract the blast furnace or the integrated one. Then there is the association of the blast furnace that is not able to attract the other because they have different interests. You know, so I don't think that uh, this could come from producer. I think that this should come or may easily easier come from legislator or from association. I think that this would be the most uh, easiest way to to define something like this. Of course, define what means green steel, but also define what means green technology and, and green plant. It's a blur right now, and I think it's just a natural human uh, instinct uh, to have it like that. So uh, hopefully we will get um, clarity. But uh, yes, greenwashing is certainly... Uh, something that uh, irritates me uh, intensely on this on on this subject so uh, you yes. talked about um interesting regions of development uh, california australia uh, and africa europe is fairly uh, well uh, understood and must be keeping you extremely uh, busy right now uh, how are things for you looking in uh, other developed con- uh, countries in uh, in asia say what is is there this momentum in Japan, Korea, Taiwan, or or, or India even? How how's uh, or China, of course? Uh, how is uh, the, uh, Asia looking for you, uh, Giacomo? There are two different uh, things on 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 these topics. One, of course, is developing. Okay, and of course, every developing country is is a wonderful market for a technology provider or a solution provider. Uh, and the other is decarbonization. So these two things are pulling the market for us. And uh, in the developing country uh, like Asia or, or, or India, we know very well that India is probably the one that is developing more on the steel. Uh, we cannot see uh, the steel uh, being uh, able to not use blast furnace uh, for a long time. So, of course, we see still China and uh, India building blast furnace now. And, of course, uh, blast furnace uh, will try to reinvent themselves to be able to be greener. But, again, we go back to the point uh, that we discussed before, efficiency. Efficiency will try always to improve or will always improve. And uh, blast furnace also will try to reinvent themselves, but will be definitely based on coke forever. 
Okay. So could improve, the blast furnace could improve on the decarbonization issue, but will never be where probably we need to be. Okay, but India and China cannot, uh, they need to rely on blast furnace for, for long time because they need uh, uh, enough steel to, to supply their growth. Okay, Japan uh, is now really uh, moving to, towards EAF. We saw an interest uh, on EAF that we didn't see since long, long time in, in, in Japan. And, and so also Japan probably will start to make a, a road, a path that we saw in the US long time ago. So we see Japan uh, coming closer uh, to the EAF solution. And uh, okay, uh, the rest of the world, uh, nowhere, I don't think that uh, no, nowhere else uh, except China and India will build blast furnace, new blast furnace yeah. in the future. Maybe Brazil, something, because they have all this biomass. Yeah, yeah. So also this maybe could be another interesting topic, blast furnace fed by biomass but all the rest will rely on EAF and on scrap you've described some sort of amazing technological leaps over the last five years that the fascinating shift to renewable energy uh the enclosed furnace what lies in store in the in, in the next 10 years can can you be a little bit uh, visionary? Are, are there any major steps to be had? Or is it another 20 years of one, two, three, five percent uh, improvements uh, throughout the production process? I think that on blast furnace, yes, there will be no, or, or I cannot see anything uh, very new coming out except uh, small or big or medium, let's say, improvement uh, that would be anyway something very good. Uh, for sure, the best thing that could happen to steel is would be to define a, a technology that would be able to reduce uh, the steel with uh, direct electrical energy. We saw something coming, but they are not yet ready and probably will not be for the next maybe five to 10 years, but that would be the definite solution because energy, electricity, let's say more than energy in the future will be very available and it will be all green. So whenever we will be able to reduce the iron ore with uh, direct electrical energy, that would be the, the final and huge and final step for uh, decarbonization. Another important thing is that, you know, now everybody is focused on net zero, which is, uh, you know, for sure the, the final step. But I think that we should, uh, before uh, focusing on net zero, we should focus on net 50%. That would be a huge thing, you know, and <laughs> maybe we should start to um, define and monitor the 50%. I read an article today of, of Kalanish that they say that to be able to be on board for the net zero by 2050, we need 100 million ton produce zero carbon by 2030. So, and you know, to be able to produce by 2030 means we have to start to think now, to build now, to, you know, start to ask permission and define the technology to build now. And 100 million is, is a huge thing. We see some projects around the world that are... Uh, saying that they will be net zero when they will produce, but they are definitely very far from 100 million ton total. Mm. Okay, so uh, the 100 million ton by 2030 with zero carbon emission is a very interesting uh, target. And I think it's something we should start to monitor and uh, let's say try, try to favor. You mentioned earlier the core of this is an energy issue and also that electricity is central to that transition. 
But we know we don't have enough electricity. Uh, I think World Steel said if all the hydrogen that's made in the world today were made in a uh, in a clean way, we would need as much electricity as Europe produces in a year. Where does the electricity come from? Are we pressing hard enough on uh, uh, legislators to to build the, the electricity? Is nuclear part of the package? Is micro-nuclear part of the package? There's plenty of questions. How do you see that energy uh, issue starting to be resolved? Nuclear is the key because, you know, a, a lot of people that are talking about this are underestimating the uh, energy content of the carbon, of coal. You know, everybody is thinking, okay, let's substitute coal, but uh, probably nobody is calculating properly how much energy uh, coal is really giving. So uh, the fact that energy is easier to transport than uh, raw material and of hydrogen, okay, it means that uh, all this energy needs to be produced and needs to be produced close to where the steel will be produced. And so nuclear is the only way uh, or, or at least the only technology that we I see now uh, able to to do that, you know, to produce so much energy uh, so regionally. Raises the question in both Japan and Germany where nuclear has uh, is not favoured. Don't tell me. I'm living in Italy. <laughs> so don't tell me. And in Italy, we don't produce uh, nuclear, but then we are surrounded by nuclear plant all around the border. You know, so uh, sooner or later, the public opinion have to understand this. Okay. And uh, I, I believe it won't be fast, far the, the day where uh, the micro nuclear uh, plant uh, will be available around the world and probably will be also associated to the mini-mills. So are you hopeful? This is a period of excitement for you, is it, Giacomo? Yes, well, I believe, I, I hope, because uh, it's, I cannot see another uh, short-term solution. Okay, maybe it will come, but, uh, you know, uh, we have to think about uh, to tomorrow, not about the next 10 years, because at the end, everybody needs steel and, uh, and everybody that is producing steel needs to be sustainable financially. You know, decarbonization is is very good idea, is, is the future, is something we really need. But if uh, the producer will not be sustainable, they will not have no resources to invest in the in decarbonization, you know. So um, sustainability is the key of everything, but it's not only uh, environmental, is social and is financial sustainability. So. Only who is able to invest will be able to decarbonize. Mm. Okay, and in Italy, in Europe, is happening something uh, different because uh, all these uh, big uh, mail shops or big uh, steel producers are uh, investing uh, because they are subsidized. But they have to really think of what will be uh, their future financial sustainability because they may invest in the plant, but if they wouldn't, won't be able to sustain uh, the investment in the future, they will, they will die. Mm. So okay. financial sustainability is the key of decarbonization. Yeah. You raise the issue of um, what happens to all those small melt shops. There's three three or four dozen small, less than one million ton melt shops across Europe. 
are they going to be able to decarbonize in in the same way, or is is there going to be a consolidation process in future? I, I think they will be able, but in a different way. They will be able moving to scrap, you know, yeah. and scrap in the future will be a, 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 an issue. Uh, I don't think it will be an issue of the availability, but it will be an issue of cost. Uh, because, of course, you know, everything could be found if you pay the, the right price. But who will be able to pay a, a higher price in the future? For sure, who will have a higher value? So the high-grade uh, mail shop will suffer less than the rebar or, uh, let's say, low-grade low because they will have a higher margin. So uh, scrap will be much more expensive. This means the low-grade... Uh, producer will suffer more and it will means that the their uh, customer will have to pay this uh, this mm. this thing mm. do you think uh, the scrap industry um is ripe for sort of major technological uh, development i mean it's stayed pretty similar over the last 30 40 50 years do you see any changes in the cleanliness the segregation uh, uh of scrap that's a very important point, but this again uh, is will be helped by technology because uh, we see that uh, a lot of uh, technology are coming uh, out and uh, are allowing the the producer to accept uh, uh, less clean steel uh, thanks to new solution, uh, the thermomechanical solution. But even on the casting, a lot of things can be done because at the end, uh, copper or any other pollutants inside the steel uh, is not an issue of uh, of uh, the fact that it is there. It's just an issue on the on the formability or on the bending thing. So if technology and they are coming, when the technology will allow uh, the steel the um, producer of of rebar or uh, of of cars will allow them to accept uh, uh, this this uh, new grade of steel because the process will uh, allow that, then it means uh, copper won't won't an issue anymore, won't be an issue anymore. And this is already happening. A lot of uh, new solution with uh, high-speed casting, you know, is helping the 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 copper content is helping. I mean, is accepting higher cop- copper content. The new thermomechanical process are uh, uh, making the, the the producer accepting even higher copper content. So again, technology is everything, and technology is pulled by necessity. When copper was not an issue, no technology was coming out to to help that. Now that copper it will be always more and more an issue because scrap will be utilized much more. Uh, technology will come in help of this. And you okay. see that same process with the quality of iron or going into direct reduction plants as yeah, well? Yeah, I can see that. I can see that also because at the end, uh, now uh, quality iron, so this means high-grade uh, iron is, uh, is a necessity for DRI, but because there is no not enough capacity of DRI that is allowing the, the mining company to invest in, in better uh, cleaning or better uh, beneficiation on that. When the DRI will be 50% of the request, uh, a lot of investment on higher uh, cleaning you know, of, the, of the iron ore will come. And so it's just a matter of demand and supply. I see that coming. 
Do you think we're going fast enough? Do you think the industry's going fast enough? Or are there are there fatal impediments in our way? Is there the urgency there? Okay, now uh, a lot of uh, people start to criticizing, to criticize the 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 carbon and the decarbonization. No? They start to say that probably is not that the issue that we are facing and that uh, we should favorite more the financial, uh, let's say, view of, of the industry. Uh, and, and, okay, is there really zero carbon the target that we should uh, pursue? I, I think yes. I think yes, because uh, it won't hurt Okay, and from my point of view, it will even uh, improve uh, the possibility to to sell new technology because, you know, in the past, as I said, the mail shops or the steel producer were investing when they were profitable. Now they have to invest because if not, they will die. Okay, so this will help us a lot. Uh, So it won't hurt to have a zero carbon target, but probably we should not uh, lose focus on the other target that we need to to follow that are all the other pollutants you know because uh, carbon is a is a medium long-term issue co2 the other pollutants are very short-term issues and we should not uh, lose the focus on that as well absolutely totally agree yeah yeah it's been great Giacomo and I can't wait to hear more about Holland and the sealed furnace and I'm very impressed that you managed to support a project in Southern California I think if steel can return to California it can it can go anywhere everywhere (laughs) everywhere, anywhere exactly we appreciate your time today thank you guys Thank you so much for this very interesting discussion and I'm very much looking forward to our next episode where we will be hosting Andre Bia Gerdau, Johann Peter, CEO of Gerdau in Brazil.